0: Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion Supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually in my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their Cinnamon Cereal Whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The Mocha Cappuccino Plant Protein, Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant-based, and Recharge, the Recovery Blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products, and you can save 20% off your first order today with our code Middle at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y, M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today.
1: This is Alyssa Olenek of Little Fitness, and I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael.
0: We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs.
1: We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black
0: and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in, in the, the messy, messy middle. middle.
1: Welcome back to the Messy Middle Podcast. Today, Alyssa and I are joined by Kate Lyman. Is that, sorry, is that how you say the last name? Yeah, I yeah, did ask is. beforehand. <laughs> All right. um, Today, we are joined by Kate Lyman. Uh, She's a nutrition coach and has been in the fitness industry for nearly a decade. She has a bachelor's degree in exercise science, a master's degree in public health, and she's a certified health education specialist. She combines this educational background with her own experience to help people improve their body composition, performance, and overall health. She shares nutrition education through social media, where she breaks dieting myths and empowers people to make sustainable changes to their diet. She believes in good good workout buddies, kindness, pink sugar cookies, long hikes, a 9 p.m. bedtime, which I really agree with, and sharing evidence-based truth. Kate, we are so excited to have you here today to talk all things nutrition.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So okay, I feel like from what I've
0: found from or like connecting with you, reading your information, going through your page, consuming your content, that your message really does fall in line exactly with what the, the goal of the podcast is, right? Being in the messy middle. And you have a lot of ways of reframing or thinking around different things around like nutrition education versus diet messages versus like all these different extremes that people tend to cling to, right? And so we would love to start off with just hearing like how you got to this point in your journey and like how you came to that messy middle point and like then, because you're now using that, you know, information that you have to help your clients and help others. But what's your story? What's the background that got you to this point here today where you're doing the work that you are doing?
2: Man, it's a lot. It feels like a, a long winding road and a lot of that has been personal experience and a lot of it has been education. The two have um Kind of melded together to to get me to where I am today, and I'm grateful for that. But um, I, like Kate said, like I've worked in fitness for a long time. Um, I grew up as an athlete in high school. I started CrossFit when I was 16 or 17. I got my CrossFit L1 when I was 17 and started coaching um, still in high school. And at the time, I was so active because of sports. I found CrossFit as I was leaving sports and um, stayed active and. For me, exercise has always been like a little bit of sacred time. It's been very personal to me and something that I've, I've felt pretty comfortable with my whole life, but nutrition has been a totally different story. And I was introduced to this diet culture, um, you know, like many women very early at a very early age. And I started dieting at like age 15 and we're talking like paleo, low carb, experimented yeah. with keto. I was a vegetarian since age nine um, so I was a, I was a keto paleo vegetarian. And if you know anything about these things, that doesn't make sense. Oh, God it works. makes yeah. literally no sense. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, probably over exercising a little bit, not feeling myself correctly and just really caught in this idea of like, okay, a diet is good. So more diets must be better. Right. Like it, it, I know it makes no sense, but at the time it seemed to, to make sense to me. And, yeah. um, so you know, stuck in this very restrictive mindset with food, um, a lot of lists of bad foods and only a few things that were good, like almonds and sweet potatoes and kale, um, because I didn't eat meat, right? So I, I had this very restrictive diet mentality, and I went to college, and my exercise routine kind of fell away because I was living in on the dorms and stuff like that, um, and so I was like extreme dieting. I wasn't really working out. I, I was feeling just so extreme and so restrictive in my food. Um, and I went to school for exercise science. And so I was learning a bit of nutrition. I was learning a bit of exercise science, but, um, I, since fifth grade wanted to be a doctor or a physician's assistant. So I decided I was going to be, go to PA school. I was taking classes more like biochem and microbiology, less exercise phys classes, um, with this intention of of going to PA school. Like I thought, you know, I want to be a doctor. I want to treat people. And it was a series of experiences that led me to believe that I actually wanted to work with prevention, um, over treatment. And I was Mm -hmm. like halfway through PA school applications. And I was like, do you know what? Like I've wanted this for 10 years now. And I don't know that I want that anymore. Um, and during this time, during all of grad school, or sorry, all of undergrad, after my first year, I was coaching CrossFit. I was teaching like um, women's exercise seminars to a lot of postpartum women. I, w- I was working in fitness. And for, for some reason, it always really felt like not a real job. Like, fitness mm-hmm. is fun. Like, mm-hmm. this is my side gig. It's how I pay for school. But like, I'm going to be a doctor because that's a real job, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy to think of. But you know, I was, I very much felt that way. So I, I, um, you know, stuck in this restrictive mindset, eating clean, I'm going to put my air quotes in here, during the week, and then like going ham on the weekend. I'm talking like full binge eating, like a loaf of bread, not even like good food, but like bread, forbidden foods, like just out of control with my eating. And I, um, you know, nutrition classes that I was taking in school kind of opened my eyes to what I was doing wrong, although I will say not a lot because basic nutrition, nutrition, education in college, like, isn't that in depth and it doesn't talk Mm-mm. about dieting and dieting, uh, culture and anything like that, or restriction or, um, adequate fueling. It talks about like food groups and metabolizing different foods and vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Right. So I finally worked with a coach and, um, and she used the method of tracking macros. And it was this like completely life-changing experience to me, um, in just bringing awareness to what I was eating, you know, like Mm -hmm. when you eat handfuls of almonds all day, every day, your calories aren't really that low. (laughs) And at this point I didn't recognize that. And so it freaking changed my, my, like my life, like my brain exploded with just this simple awareness of what i was eating and with this idea of bringing a little more balance to the macronutrients i was eating you know like my protein was so low i was still a vegetarian um i thought i was eating low carbs but guess what sweet potatoes are carbs like you know i wasn't and you know yeah. the almonds and the peanut butter and all those things were like fat was through the roof and none of it was um none of it made me demonize those foods but it really just allowed me to bring more Um, more flexibility into my food choices and it was like that's all I needed it was like this act of tracking my food a little closer that just kind of blew my mind and brought this awareness to to how my food choices could change and um at the time I worked with a coach like I was getting more into CrossFit I wanted to get stronger and I wasn't feeling that happening I was so hungry I um you know, my protein was like 50 grams of protein a day, if that. Mm -hmm. And so I started adding meat to my diet. It was like really traumatic at the time, but, um, you know, that adequate protein was just a huge game changer for body composition changes and performance changes. And just like having energy and not waking up five times in the middle of the night, starving to death. So very transformative experience for me. I know um, Kate, Oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead.
0: I was gonna say, I know Kate has a question for you, but I wanted to say how much like I relate to this because I was an athlete growing up. And I actually just had this conversation with my Olympic weightlifting coach yesterday. We were talking about like food narratives that he had versus I had as athletes in high school and how no one actually ever taught me how to, they told me about like eating disorders, but they never told me how to fuel myself. And I remember in college when I was a cross player doing, I did paleo plus oatmeal but I ate so much trail mix that I gained weight, right? Because I yeah. was just housing like Lara bars and trail you're mix, hungry. And wine <laughs> bars, and, and bags of whole vegetables. But my protein was low and my fat was high. But my car and I think sometimes people forget like you can be under eating in the sake of face of carbs, but overeating in calories is a hard concept to like explain to gender pop people but that's exactly what I was doing and I feel like crap and I remember adding oatmeal back in and being like okay well I guess like oats isn't the worst thing in the world and adding that back in and feeling fabulous because like you have no idea about and this was before I took my nutrition courses because I was like a similar undergrad degree and so you were saying all that and I was like oh you mean like when my dad made me eat a box of cereal before my lacrosse game in high school because I was only eating vegetables for dinner because no one I just saw good food healthy sport athlete and I was I didn't have disordered relationships with it but I just didn't know any better and I remember so many times I was just like underfueling and feeling like crap but labeling weird things like oh I was paleo though but like paleo plus oatmeal but that's still a car it was just a whole mess of things so I you were saying all that and I was like okay so Kate and I basically just lived the same experience minus I was then I started powerlifting and just eating loaves of breads intentionally <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> so anyway <Right>. sorry <laughs> and I don't know about you but like it was this experience experience where I was like, I didn't know I could feel this good. And my mind is kind of blown that that I have this much energy that I'm recovering, that I'm lifting heavier, Mm -hmm. that I feel better. Like nutrition is pretty important, huh? You know, and I've grown up in this family that is so involved in fitness and really healthy. We're outdoor people. I've grown up camping, backpacking, hiking, all these things. Um, But without this like knowledge that my food was that powerful and it just kind of was transformative for me. So anyway, I, um, you know, changed course, started, um, graduate school, my master's in public health. It was a, the most incredible two years It's really hard, but it was really incredible. Just, um, delving into this world of prevention. And, um, as I learned more about nutrition, cause I took nutrition courses and more about health behavior theory and, um, behavioral health. I also started like teaching nutrition seminars because I was like devouring all the information I could on nutrition and um you know like uh, on the internet and books and research things like that and then I started taking nutrition clients and this whole time it was like side gig like that's not a real job that's not what I do I need to be a doctor still or like a researcher or something big and real. wait are you
0: in my life I sat on the Kate, with Kate, Miss Kate, yesterday, and I was like, yeah, basically in the last six months, I finally allowed myself to admit that my business wasn't a side gig, and it's actually a viable career option, because, like, that's how you feel when yeah. you're an academic, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I Absolutely. love that, because we have a lot of listeners that are academic-bound, and they you lose your identity in it. Cause they're like, well, if you don't have a normal job, or you don't work in a clinic or you're not in research or science. Well, that's not real. That's fake. It's a side gig, but it's a lot of time to be spending on a hobby. Right. So right. Kate is yeah. in my head. I'm so sorry. Right. I, I keep talking over our Kate, but everything you say, I'm like, okay, wait, <laughs> is this my lived experience? Is this like, are you just coming on here to be like, did we just become best friends? Cause I was like, this is exactly <laughs> everything that I literally said. So anyway, continue. Well, yeah, so I was, you know,
2: in this place where I'm like, that couldn't be a real job, but I like had paying clients. I'm on year five or whatever coaching CrossFit. Um, I had met my husband, married him. He was a full-time, like worked in fitness as well. And I was like, you know, I finished my MPH and I was like, I am... I really want to be a doctor still, even though it looks different. Like I want to be a professor. I want to be a researcher. So I applied for a PhD program, uh, moved across the country, started a PhD in social and behavioral science in public health with a focus on community nutrition, um, was absolutely miserable, hated it. And it, you know, maybe it was the marathon of school and not having a break. And I also don't feel like I was a good fit for the program. Couldn't get funding in the research I wanted. There's a myriad of reasons it didn't work out, but, um, was absolutely, absolutely miserable. And I was like, but you know, like here I have this side gig that's paying me like a full income. Um, but it's not real. I guess I need to get rid of it and and just go to school so I can finish this miserable four years of my life that I hate right now. Um, and it was like a lot of my support system talking to me being like, are you like, are you sure that's the right decision? <laughs> because it like, it just seems so clear cut to me that like, to be successful, to be this high achieving person. I wanted to be like, I needed to be a professor. I needed to be a researcher. I needed more publications. I needed like this really official title and working in quote unquote fitness, like is not real. Um, and so even though it sounds like an easy decision, it was really, really, really hard. Um, and it was really hard to come to terms with the fact that like, you know, I, i had wanted to work in prevention. i had wanted to work in something, um, that was really impactful, but to recognize that like working one-on-one with clients in this capacity that's very intimate, that's very involved, that's very transformative, like is impactful because they go on to impact their families, their friends. Um, and, you know, the more clients I work with, the more impact I'm able to make And it. And so I, I left school. It was really hard. I, there were a lot of tears involved. And I decided to see if I could take it full-time, um, take yeah. Lemon Nutrition full-time. And I did. And it has been like the greatest thing of my life because I love what I do every single day. Um, I get to work in this in this area that can make such a big impact in so many people in how they view food and how they view diet culture and how they view their bodies and how they view their performance and how they're able to navigate life not being like tortured by this idea of what diet they have to do next or how hard they have to train or how much cardio they have to do. Um, And so, yeah, that was long, it was long-winded, but that's where I am today. It's been a lot of navigating extremes to get to this point where, um, you know, it didn't, it it took a lot of doing things wrong and a lot of putting myself Mm -hmm. through torture to recognize that like there is that middle that can be really, really comfortable. And just because you like settle in the middle, um, you're not settling. It doesn't mean you're lesser than, it doesn't mean you're not high achieving. Um, You can be really comfortable there and still be achieving a lot.
1: Absolutely. I relate so much to um, your story. And, and Alyssa I'm, clearly has already made her case that she does as well. <laughs> and um, I, we kind of joke sometimes uh, on our guests that we bring in that they're kind of the messy middle of me and Alyssa. Like we, we re- I'm sure we relate to like different parts of your story. Um, me, especially the, the terms of, you know, coming to the realization that you don't need a terminal degree to help people directly and make an impact. And um, that's something, you know, I ultimately decided to stay in my PhD, but that's something that's weighed on me and I've definitely had to go um, through that kind of decision-making process of, is this really for me? And you know what I want to do in my career afterwards isn't to stay in academia like I originally thought. But I, I also loved on your form that you referred to your industry as the nutrition education industry instead of the diet industry. And I love this distinction. Can you share a little bit more about what this difference means to you?
2: So I don't know if that's actually real, but I I just would like to make it real. It can be, sure, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because, you know, I don't, I I work with individuals and some of those are working towards fat loss goals or like aesthetic goals. Um, But at the same time, I want to make the distinction that they're not dieting for some short-term goal that they're then going to like bounce back or they're not dieting in an unsafe or unhealthy way. Because I I truly believe that it is okay to want to make body composition changes if you're coming from a really safe and healthy place. And if you're working on long-term sustainable change as you work towards that goal, um, and that comes through nutrition education and not just in general knowing, you know, like the law of thermodynamics and, and like how a body functions and, and everything about macronutrients, but understanding how you can apply those principles to you and how you can do that in a way that is really sustainable for you, that makes you um, feel good and perform well and develop a better relationship with food and with yourself. And that comes through education. It's not just a diet, right?
1: yeah absolutely. You also um used a lot of like descriptors of our our diet culture as like rigid, restricted, full of rules and like all or nothing mentalities. um Can you talk a little bit more about like what as what these aspects of the diet culture why they're so damaging to our long term health goals
2: yeah absolutely I think you know we are wired to want a quick fix and it makes sense, right? Like why have something later when you can have it now? We're wired to want that. But in in giving people this quick fix, um, you know, often diets or diet plans or meal plans or whatever you want to call it, health gurus are pushing really, really restrictive uh methods of following rules or following meal timing or following like this rigid structure that you have to add to your diet. And it's just not sustainable for the life that we live like if we were in the the very end of 2020 like did you if you started this year following something rigid like how did that go because life threw a lot of curveballs at us and even when it's not 2020 life is throwing curveballs at us because we don't live a life of rigidity and structure and if we if our success depends on doing everything perfect and and following this structure and rigidity in this list of roles and restrictions we're not going to be successful
0: no and you see that i mean i mean kate and i are big proponents of like making your environment conducive to your goals making the least amount of thinking the least amount of effort and like i coined my term lazy list nutrition and i people were like it's not supposed to be super effortful and hard i'm like you can feed yourself well and be well fed and fuel yourself with it being the least amount of effort that you do the entire day. Like, and that should be the end goal for people. And I love that, like challenging. I'm like, how's that going for you? Cause you see that all the time with people, you're like, so you're going to go back and do, they're like, well, it worked last time. I'm like, well, it clearly didn't work if you couldn't sustain it through all these, because life's going to have road bumps. But if you have a solid nutrition plan, that's rooted in education, right. Where you understand it, you're able to eat, anything, just about anywhere. Like I can go through any drive through in the country and know how to make a meal for myself. That's going to fit what I need or how I feel. It's not as ideal, right? Like I'm not going to like, I don't eat Taco Bell for every meal of every day, but if I had to go do that, I could do that no matter how busy or crazy. this year, I think definitely exposed that for a lot of us because, you know, we had to shift almost immediately right where that new year's pivot happens around March. You know what I mean? We're really kind of starting to fall off our plans. Like our entire lives changed. So I love that and I also love that you talk about like the like it being like an edu- nutrition education industry versus the diet industry because I think that what gets lost in the middle of a lot of the pushback against diet culture and diet industry is that then consumers are like should we not care about nutrition at all and I don't think everyone promotes that message but I think sometimes in translation it gets pitted as that like you should you should just walk into a room with your eyes closed in the dark and grab something and leave rather than being mindful and intentional about like the choices that you're making in a way that's going to serve you best and feel best. Like you ate handfuls of almonds all day, every day. Almonds are a great food for you, right? But that didn't serve you in the long run, like right. versus like me being learning about carbohydrates and adding that back in and being like so mind blown that it actually like I didn't feel like crap all the time It's just being intentional. But without that education component, we didn't, you don't have to address body composition at all. You can still feel like shit and have any type of body composition. It's all about the education, kind of nutrition. And I like that because I think that does really get lost in that translation of people when they're pushing back against those extreme um, messages that people are getting versus people thinking like, well, should I just not care at all? And like, you should care, but it should be coming from a place of like, understanding rather than pressure to be or do something that's not sustainable for you so I just I really love that and I wanted to emphasize that just so I like to drive home points for our listeners so that when they're listening that they're like oh wait I should have taken a note of that because that's very important guys I think that's like something that you should like you're taking notes jot that down like I think that's something to really like ride home about
2: yeah and I think so much messy middle lies in that too like there's this there's there's this pervasive diet culture and there's this big pushback against it. And it's easy to mistake this pushback for like, okay, the only option is intuitive eating. But like I get, I'll get really fired up about this because it, intuitive eating gets like mangled. Like this is a like process that requires so much education and practice. And you can't just say, I don't diet, so now I'm intuitive eating. Like, uh, like, don't get me started. I will get so, so, <laughs> so like worked up over this. It's but,
0: completely like, been bastardized by. Yes. Like completely. Like, when people think that I'm anti-intuitive eating, I'm like, no, I think intuitive eating is a fantastic tool and approach. But the way you're seeing it from non-like professionals is just it's just as bad as everything else that's out there.
2: Exactly, and how do you get to the point where you can eat intuitively without that nutrition education, without understanding what your body needs? And, and not like the way of like having to track your food or anything like that, but just having a deeper understanding of nutrition in general, of food, of what your body needs to, to thrive, to uh, function optimally. So yeah, I think there's like so much to be said about the messy middle between those two things because it's easy to think like either you're um this slave to the diet industry um and like having to hop from fad diet to fad diet or you're intuitively eating and like ho- somehow you magically know um, right. how to go through this really uh in-depth process of becoming more in tune with your body
1: yeah i love this conversation because i think we often talk about and condemn the super restrictive diets, but the opposite extreme can be just as harmful, of course. Like and and you referred um to this in your forum. I, I love this as not eating like an asshole because you quote unquote aren't following a diet, <laughs> which like I laughed so much at because and, and related to because um I'm I'm a swimmer and the sport often has like a fuck it culture when it comes to dieting and um and just Eating in general, it's like no, no, no. I'll just outswim all of the bad nutrition. Um, can you tell us like how people in this in this camp, right, in the like fuck it diet mentality, can come towards you know the messy middle nutrition approach? Is that the same type of mindset shift that you would go through with restrictive dieting, or you know, does it look a little different?
2: I think it's the same on a lot of levels, and I think one of the the biggest struggles I see in In clients and non clients alike, is this like all or nothing? Like, either I have to be eating clean and eating perfectly and following my diet perfectly to a T, or what does it matter? Screw it, I'll eat whatever I want because I'm not being Mm -hmm. perfect. And it doesn't make sense, right? Like, it doesn't make sense to, to be that way from like a a standpoint of your caloric intake and expenditure like it doesn't make sense but at the same time i've been there i know it i was that way for for years and years it was the like eat my sweet potatoes almonds and kale all week and then i had you know a chip at a mexican restaurant because i went out with friends and like screw it i'll eat whatever i want i like to call it um, a
0: fuck it nation yes and i'm like don't go all the way out to fuck it nation because that's what it becomes yeah and it's, absolutely. And it's not it's not even stemming from a health and i i call that out this time of year especially because people were like well, I ate a slice of pie in November, so I might as well just snort lines of sugar until January 1st. And exactly. I was like, <laughs> like, I was like, there's like 710 other options in there that can still involve pie and sugar that aren't just like waking up right every day and be like, well, I'm a piece of shit, so I might as well eat a pie for all three meals today. I'm like, that, you, that doesn't come from a place you know you're not going to feel good doing that. But And I think that like one of the things that I love the most is that it's like, that's actually diet culture when mm-hmm. that like technically in itself disguised as that, And so, no, I love that, and I, 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 I—that's what I call it. It's fucking nation because that's what people do, and you're like, that's not coming from a place of health at all. Like, that's not intuitive. That's not like promoting any wellness or health or application. That's just like self-destructing, basically. Right. Right.
1: The Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. The Messy Middle Podcast is hosted on Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, which considerably helps with all of the production costs you normally have, except that on Anchor, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum audience through sponsorships and monthly contributions from your subscribers. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
2: Right, the idea like if you have one cookie, it automatically means you need to eat the whole sleeve of cookies, like it isn't helpful to anyone, it isn't helpful to like physically how you feel isn't helpful to your goals, isn't helpful to what you'll feel like the next day. Um, but I think to answer Kate's question, like it is kind of the same approach, understanding that um, eating one food that you may have deemed bad before, like isn't the end of the world. Here's how you can make that work. Like from both the standpoint of working towards your goals and just feeling okay with it. Um, you know, as a nutrition coach, I'm sure this is the same conversation you've had with every nutrition coach you've talked to. Like it's, Yes, we're talking about what people eat, but like that's really the least of it. You know, like it it's food is so emotional. When has food ever been like this is what I eat and now I'm done? Like there are so many factors at play. Um and there's so much like behavioral health to navigate and not like we're throwing health behavior theories or change models at clients at all, but like it's understanding the nuance of um you know what it, what it feels like to eat something that may have felt Bad at some point, and how to reframe good and bad foods to just being foods, and it's the same on this other end of the spectrum, like how to reframe like messing up into being something that just flows into your day, so you can move on with life without it like stopping you in your tracks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I see that all the time with the messages, like because I, I'm, I'm big into nutrition and and metabolism and all that stuff, and I don't work on with one on one with clients anymore with this just because of. I say it in my PhD program, yes. um, but I see those narratives a lot with people where they like it's it's never about the food, and I think we talked. I think I talked about this in like three other interviews this week. It's like once I started working with humans, you're like you understand all the science, but humans aren't i tell this to my clients i say you're not food and exercise robots right they're way more complex than that and it's our jobs to have that information educate people and translate there where some people like i feel like it's like they're hoarding all the information they're just like just trust me or just do this but people want to know they want to be empowered by that but they also want you to treat them like a human and be able to find ways to make these things work with them rather against them which like is something I think people struggle doing because they try to do that perfect scientific thing and they want that. But I'm like, but you don't actually want that. You want something that's going to fit into your life in a way that still aligns with what we know as best practices in the science that is is applicable to you as possible rather than everyone's trying to optimize everything. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. like the most optimal is going to apply to you. And I think getting people to learn how to be flexible with that is the hardest thing, right? Because life is changing constantly and not going back into that camp of, well, today wasn't the most ideal day, so I might as well just throw this all out the window, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of concept, Right. right? And you see that all the time. So- Building off that, you mentioned a little bit, and we know everyone knows we're a shill for this, but prioritizing like habits and skills in approaching your nutrition and like helping people move over that fat and overly restrictive diets and those. So when you work with clients or people on their diet and nutrition, what kind of habits or skills do you like to implement that kind of helps bridge that gap between understanding the science and the knowledge and your nutrition education, but also, you know, making it so it's useful and applicable to the individual in their life and circumstance?
2: Yeah, So like I work with one-on-one clients and, and I try to make it, I try to make it clear that we are a team um, because my goal isn't to tell anyone what to do. They have to be on board and, and it requires like an understanding of their lifestyle and what that demands of them. So, you know, I use a flexible nutrition approach and um, that's, I define it as it it is the process of tracking your macros with the intention of working towards a specific goal, whether that be aesthetic or performance or optimal health but rather than it being this like IFYM approach where you track everything and you know, you can fit 10 donuts into your day, but you just have to drink protein powder and egg whites the rest of the day. Like we're using this active tracking to bring awareness and to build understanding of food choices so that when life hits and there's a job change or a new kid or a freaking global pandemic, they have habits to lean back on. And a lot of that is understanding, okay, why are we even doing this tracking thing? Like um, it's to help you understand that you need adequate protein for your goals. So a habit that comes off of that, it would be like leaning back on the idea that every or most meals should have an identifiable protein source there, like that's going to help you hit that protein goal, right? Um, and maybe we can rely on more whole, unprocessed foods rather than a shake every day. But like, if that's what you need some days to to make it happen, do it. Like, it's not the end of the world. And, um, you know, how do you feel yourself optimally? And reach your macro targets without feeling hungry or deprived like let's eat more whole volu- high volume foods like fruits and vegetables and whole grains and things higher in fiber and water content because it's better for your health and it's going to keep you satiated and it's going to be sustainable um so you know we can add those to a meal like it the the approach i use it Each client looks so different because we're all navigating such different things. But the the entire goal is to have identifiable habits that they can lean back on in times where like tracking isn't happening, and that's okay because you know that it's not the goal forever. Or life feels like an actual shit show, and like the least you can do is use your nutrition as some source of consistency rather than being another source of stress or having to say like life's crazy right now. I guess I can't focus on my nutrition. So it's really my goal in my coaching is to, you know, help them navigate nutrition in a way that's compatible with their lifestyle, but to be able to identify those habits that are making it happen as they, as they navigate that, that journey. Because when we're done working together, I want them to know everything they need to know about, about managing their nutrition on their own. I want them to be done. I want them to not have to track their food anymore if they don't want to because they know the purpose it served and now it, d- it no longer serves them in that way. You know, I want for them to be able to have sustainable long term changes and that only comes through habits. It doesn't come through rules and regulations and restrictions.
1: Yeah. I love that you use uh, tracking not as you know, a long-term solution necessarily. Like some people believe that when you start tracking, it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this for the rest of my life. But like you said, you're developing an understanding of not only like how to make meals appropriately, but why you're doing it. Like you said, to, you know, be more satiated with, you know, higher volume foods or adequate protein. And so when you really put the why behind it and you start to like you said develop this like habit of tracking when you no longer can do it or don't want to do it you have that like knowledge at hand and you you kind of understand like some some of the small things it's just like how much protein is in this chicken tender i'm eating you know like you kind of get to know those things based on the the volume of the food that you're looking at rather than like having to maybe like weigh it out or or you know portion it however you've been doing it previously those like little knowledge bits add up and it really contributes to lowering uh, what we talk about is like your decision fatigue, where Mm -hmm. when you first start nutrition, you're making decision, like a a nutritional um, intervention, if you will. Um, You're making all these decisions after decisions all the time, but if you build a habit and it's reflexive, it doesn't feel, it doesn't weigh cognitively on you like that. Right. So I, I love that. Alyssa, did you have something to add?
0: I was just gonna say too. I wanted to highlight because I know people always ask me if I track or not, and I, I hate the internet because I'm afraid to admit to people that I track. Sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna get canceled so for admitting that I track right. my food intake, right? <laughs> but I don't. It's like the answer is yes and no. Sometimes, not always. And I'm not really someone who really like manipulates body composition because for my performance metrics, I'm usually just like eating to sustain where I'm at. I did the whole massive bulk phase back in the day, and I never ever regret it. But ever since then, I just felt like I was like. I needed that period of, but now I think I just sustain that intake. Like, let's mm-hmm. be real. I've just sustained <laughs> that intake for like five years. But like you, I go through seasons of when I track versus not. And even now I'm tracking again and I've been tracking consistently again for about six weeks, but I'm not even hitting a macro target. I'm just doing it to monitor my daily protein and making sure my carbs are a certain target. And I kind of just eat the calories based off my hunger with my training. So I'm not even doing it in a way that's rigid. I'm using it as a tool. And I think people forget that it's like, I'm not even dieting on it. You know what I mean? I'm not signing up to for some like specific structure, but then when I feel like my performance is at a place where I can go I have all these skills and tools, you know what I mean? And these meals that I'm making that I know fit into my day-to-day schedule. And I, I'm really busy or really stressed, there might be a day where I'm like, okay, well, I'm just not going to track today. But those tools don't disappear. I think people forget that like the skills and tools you gain, they don't just go, Poof. I didn't track at a single calorie during my whole hundred K training cycle, but I knew that I under eat carbs all the time. So I just added in more carbohydrates and I was fine versus like, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I need to get like some checks and balances on what I'm doing. Cause I'm not feeling as great. You know what I mean? Like the, the goals and these habits don't always have right. to be signing up to tracking for the rest of your life or doing it as a way to, I think people associate tracking food immediately with dieting. And that never actually has to be the case. Like you can you can monitor your food intake and never lose weight you can monitor your food intake and gain weight like it's not it's just a it's like using a calculator right like it's it, it's that relationship with it but building on that because that kind of talks I'm like I have seasons of tracking versus seasons of not tracking we referred a little bit to like how I did my big bulking phase and now I'm usually just maintaining and stuff like that um, can you talk about like periodization in our nutrition and how like we do that with lifting right or race training like we tend to have higher volume times versus lower different goals within that so can you talk about like periods and phases or maybe seasons of eating and why we really shouldn't aim to be in a deficit forever and that like that idea that tracking is always associated with like cutting fat or losing weight or being on a diet and kind of even moving past that idea that everything is a diet and how we can periodize and like make our nutritional seasons work with us um and what that looks like on a long-term scale for people
2: yeah, I, I love the topic of periodizing our nutrition, although it's always hard to say. Um, yes. Because, you know, I feel like, so I work with male and female clients, and you'd think that there would be a ton of differences between the two, but it is true that so many come um, with this past history of, of dieting, of chronic under eating, and really more pervasive of this idea that it is always the goal to lose body fat. weight loss is always the goal. And it is so important for them to understand, um, you know, and this is something we talk about the entire time we're working together, that fat loss can't always be the goal because then it's going to be slow. It's going to be, um, you know, unhealthy, borderline dangerous, depending on where we're at, it's going to be inefficient. So if we can understand there's seasons in our, in our nutrition seasons to, um, yes, be in a calorie deficit and to pursue fast and efficient um, and sustainable fat loss, but then there's seasons of maintaining that fat loss and there's seasons of your goals have shifted and you have more performance goals. So there's seasons of eating for performance and understanding that doesn't mean that aesthetic goals go away. It might mean we focus on maintaining those goals rather than being in another fat loss phase. So, you know, I I would say like half of our clients come with fat loss goals, Sorry.
0: I was gonna say, and half the time, I want to just emphasize that because I know a lot of our listeners have performance goals. The that last goals contradict the performance goal, and it's just yes. not the time. It's not it's the time. Not the time. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not dieting when I'm training for an ultra. It's not the time. Like that's just so. So I want to like emphasize that that it's like you have to analyze all the stressors together if you're training for big things. So absolutely. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And understanding those seasons allows us to be, I know I've said this word already so many times, but like, this is the best part. It allows us to be efficient. Like what if you could have a fat loss phase where you actually see a sustainable rate of change in body fat and composition week by week, you feel good doing it because you're eating the most food possible while staying in a deficit. And then when you're done, you maintain that progress. Like is that not the magic pill we're all looking for? It just the process of getting there looks a little different. And, um, you know, when working with every client, the goal is that they're eating as much as possible. So I feel like I have these clients come in, they're like, okay, my goal is fat loss. And the conversation can be tough to say, okay, we're going to get there, but that might require eating more first. That might require a reverse, reverse diet first or spending a few weeks at maintenance um, before we get there. But when we get there, man, it's going to be awesome. Um, And then after you're going to maintain this progress and like, how long have you wanted that for? Can we push this off a few weeks or months to get you there into a way where this is sustainable? Like you've been trying to do this for 10 years and you've been running yourself into the ground in an attempt to do that. So I know that you have to be a little patient with it, but it's going to pay off.
0: Yeah. And so you, you, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you also per, you also partake in the crazy act of running ultramarathons or trail I running? Do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're on that side of like maybe extremer fitness goals. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you work with clients who are like that, but can you speak to how you like reframe it with people? Cause I know a lot of people ask me all the time. They're like, well, what if I want to lose weight, but I'm also training for this event. You know what I mean? And like working with clients who maybe have performance goals and fat loss goals and how you reframe those seasons for them while also making sure that like, they understand that like, maybe those things might look different, or it might be an Mm off-season approach, or it might not be the time, um, or X, Y, Z, or then some people, sometimes it does apply, where they might lose body fat while training for an event, so can you speak to, like, maybe those who have maybe goals that go beyond lifestyle that tie mm-hmm. into performance and I think a lot of the times too and you might see this I see this a lot where people who have high volumes of training and big goals they consider themselves gen pop so they don't want to treat themselves like an athlete and fuel appropriately and mm-hmm. like getting them to reframe that like your body doesn't know that you're mediocre they just know that you're doing a lot of exercise yeah. right like like my body doesn't know I'm a mid-pack ultra runner it just knows I'm running 10 hours a week so how do oh you work goodness. you know what I mean like it's true yeah no it. <laughs> like it's completely true like I still need carbs my body's like oh wow you didn't Come in third first place. Well, <laughs> no food for you. Um, so how do you reframe that mindset around performance versus body composition changes, which really do kind of come hand in hand, especially in athletic-driven people? Like, I mean, there's body composition and sport almost are completely tied to each other, sometimes appropriately, sometimes not. So, how do you reframe those seasons and those conversations for those who maybe have a little bit bigger athleticals so that they're both fueling themselves and also timing maybe a phallus phase or a bulking phase appropriately with those?
2: So, it, it, you know, it looks so different for every individual because it depends on where they're coming from and what level of training they're at and if they're brand new to it or mm-hmm. if they've been doing this for decades. Um, but, you know, it is a conversation about needing to choose one to start with, choose a goal to prioritize, but also to understand that those two things, that body composition and performance, aren't always mutually exclusive. When you're fueling yourself appropriately, a lot of times our body composition responds in positive ways, but we have to recognize that that's not the primary focus. Performance is the primary focus, but how incredible that now you get to perform better, recover better, eat more, and feel really good, and that in focusing on this performance first, you're setting yourself up for that efficient fat loss uh, goal down the road, or that fat loss phase down the road. Um, so, you know, it, it is a conversation that requires compromise, and a lot of times there's pushback in the beginning, but I just really, like, I don't know how to adequately explain how much I love my clients how incredible they are, how grateful I am to work with them. And so really telling them like, look, I'm your goals. They're my goals. I'm trying to get you there. And I want to help you do this in the best way possible. So like, I hope you can trust me in what we're doing. I hope you can trust me that we're working together for a timeline. That's going to be optimal for you. Um, And you know, it takes some time, but people understand like, Oh wow. If I can prioritize one thing at a time, I can, Do it, do it big, do it well, feel really good doing it, and then move on to the next phase. And in doing so, I'm learning so much along the way. And these are skills you're picking up that really support current goals, but also long-term goals. And that's pretty powerful too. Mm
1: -hmm. I love that you started that answer with it depends because we are big it depends fans. And I know that people listening sometimes get frustrated by that because they're like, oh, just give me the answer, you know. And It's true, though, the answer is going to be so individually based and um, which is why we recommend working with coaches and why we recommend, you know, getting help by professionals in the field um, and not just following, you know, Susie's cutout plan for your nutrition that might not at all, you know, help you meet your goals. Um, And you have uh, you have a post. Along, along this line, I guess, uh, that says, stop messing a- around with your macros. <laughs> and I, I love this because um, especially if you're attempting to go it on your own without the direction of a coach, um, can you give a little bit, I know it's going to depend, right? But <laughs> a little bit of an idea of how much time you suggest is optimal um, to, to approach a certain uh, macro layout, uh, and especially if you're a beginner and you're, you're trying to navigate what that might look like for you.
2: It depends is so hard because I think it's easy to overlook how big of a role past dieting history plays and where you need to start. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's going at it alone, I often recommend, uh, you know, I know you want to get right to those fat loss goals or whatever your specific goals are, but just, you know, do me a favor and take a few weeks to find out what maintenance is for you. Um, play around with those numbers. Like if you use a calculator, okay. You know, like I can't stop you from doing that, but take time to monitor, um, you know, biofeedback with where you're at in your maintenance. Like take time to see, okay, is this really maintenance? Is my weight and composition staying about stable? And then once you know that it's so much easier to go into a cut or into a bulking phase because you have an understanding of where your baseline is. Um, it's people just automatically jumping into, um, you know, this really drastic cut is, is where we see, you know, it's not sustainable. They dry themselves in the ground. Energy is low. We see more metabolic adaptation than there should be, et cetera, et cetera. So, really, starting with that, um, you know, four to six weeks, I'd say, at maintenance to understand where you're at is is kind of the key to net na- to going at it. Yeah. On your yeah, own. absolutely. Even when it comes, yeah. like you
0: mentioned, the bulking thing, and that's so true because so many women are like, well, they think that they, they, they I think they fear the the phrase bulking or even Gen Pop people in general because most of them probably don't even need to really do a formal bulk 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 Mm -hmm. but they just haven't been eating an appropriate distribution of like enough protein or energy to fuel their workouts so they're not training hard enough to really put on muscle but also they were either under eating for so long gonna never serve the purpose of their body being anabolic and building muscle Mm -hmm. and you're like but maintenance is key there because figuring out where that's at because even if you are going to add calories you need to figure out where to add them from right but Mm -hmm. sometimes being right there at that maintenance is where you're going to actually grow anyway and you could just hang out there and not stuff yourself. like trust me when I say eating a lot is a job, like if at some point it becomes a job, right? So Mm -hmm. like, it's a lot more comfortable to define that maintenance and hang out there and like, be comfortable. And I think we talked about this in another episode we recorded this week too, that like, Sometimes it's scarier almost to do the the thing that requires the least amount of work, right? Because we think it's supposed to be a ton of ton of work, but really, like Mm -hmm. eating at maintenance. I mean, I post today that we record this. Like maintenance is an option. I think people forget that all the time, and like that's where we figure out like any of my nutrition products I sell. I'm like, okay, like for like at least like two to six months, you got to figure out your maintenance and eat there because that's also where you're gonna create habit change. That's also where you're gonna like fix a lot of your mindset issues. Like it doesn't have to be immediately going to the goal of changing your body, which I know can be really hard for people. But like, that's a great place to learn a lot and also figure out where the heck that even is to begin with, because most people have yeah. no idea. They have no idea because they under eat one day and overeat the next day and then oscillate between. So they actually have no idea what they're even eating and they're eating so inconsistently and they feel so crappy that like they, when they do that, I feel like they feel, almost feel too good to be true. And they're like, I don't trust this, right? Like, they're like yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think something that like, Can be overlooked or or people may not understand is I have so often I work with a client and we're starting at maintenance, right? We're kind of finagling numbers to figure out what that maintenance is for them. And they came to me with big fat loss goals, um, like dramatic fat loss goals. And you know, we talk through why we need to be here at maintenance first. And so often they stay there because guess what? They feel great. We're still seeing some like body recomposition a little bit because they're eating. Consistently or adequately after so long um, of you know under eating or over eating or being back and forth in this restricted binge cycle, and they're like, oh, I know I had these big fat loss goals, but it's actually really comfortable to eat enough for my body, and I feel good, and my energy is good, and like to go back to where I was when I first started working with a coach, like, wow, I didn't know I could feel this good. Like, it's why do you want to change that once you're there, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think so much of what we said in this conversation has, has really been powerful and hopefully empowers people. And, and I want to encourage our listeners to go and follow you if this information um, they're not you know, hearing enough of that, you know, you need to fill your feed with the right people that are saying the right messages. And um, I'll go ahead and, and leave it to you if there's anything that you think we've left unsaid or uncovered that you would like to share with our interview before we head to close.
2: I don't think so. I'm really grateful for this conversation. And um, Alyssa, I'm really grateful for your maintenance post earlier. I like reposted it immediately. <laughs> um, I think if I I'm could be like...
0: for those who can't yeah.
2: see <laughs> <laughs> I know, I they can see. Um, I think if there's anything to to sum up like how you could approach your nutrition um really realistically with with um the idea of sustainable long-term change is to focus on consistency over this idea of perfection over this idea of it has to be all or nothing. Like being consistent sounds kind of boring, but like there's a lot of power in that. And that's kind of where the change happens.
0: It's where the magic is at maintenance. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, the magic is at maintenance or the, in the boring and the repetitive. Like I am, I feel like I am the world's biggest shill for boring work. It sucks. It always sucks. It's never gotten less sucky because it's not stimulating. Right. But it's, Okay. Maybe, like, maybe. I mean, I feel like I ran ultra marathons, so now I can do anything boring endlessly for the rest of my life. And I'm just like, okay, this I get is that. This is I cute. get that. Oh, no, whatever. <laughs> like, but there is so much, so much good that happens there. And like, I think it sums up that, like, there's magic in the maintenance, which doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean you're not doing anything, right? But right. like, that is a very viable place to do a lot of really good things.
2: Absolutely. I love that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for this conversation and also our Kate, always <laughs> our permanent co-host. <laughs> um, if, uh, if you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you follow Kate on social media. We will link her all of her information here in the show notes. Are you mostly on Instagram? Yep. Yeah, she. I thought so. I just wanted to make sure. You never know. Someone might have some secret like platform they use. But Kate's mostly on Instagram. We'll link it here in the show notes where you can find her, work with her, find consume all of her content. She's another person out there that's producing really good quality-based educational content. So make sure you follow her. And if you like today's podcast, rate, review, subscribe, share it in Instagram stories, tag us, let us know what you think. And we're really excited for this conversation. Thank you so much, Kate. This is such, I think, such an important conversation and I will reference also as well for those of you who would like today's conversation if you want to go back to season one Bethany's and if you've been connected with Bethany you have to oh no
2: no. Bethany and I have become really great uh, Instagram friends and get get this (laughs) like she's about to move to Tennessee like 10 minutes away from where i just moved away from and i'm really oh sad no. i know oh. she she came to house hunt the week i was leaving i was gonna I'm say like you, really <laughs> upset about you
0: remind it. me i was like if you're not best friends with bethany you should be because you are literally like i feel like i joke on Bethany's soul sister but like i think you actually might be <laughs> yeah and i'm so soul sad because
1: they like we had the opportunity to be neighbors all right you guys until next time we want you to live well demand better and stay messy Yay. thank you guys so much we will see you next week